you would, to uh, Matthew chapter 3. That's his cue in the radio room to start the uh, recording. And he'll be out here in just a minute. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to see a classic example, thank you, a baptism taking place and why we have baptism, why we're called a Baptist church. We'll go into that a little more detail maybe this evening. But let's go to Matthew chapter 3 to look at the importance of baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, we're going to see the classic story of the Philippian jailer who got saved. And then we'll see that baptism follows salvation. Matthew chapter 3, I'll read, uh, well, no, that's Matthew, that's, the, that's historically We'll go to Matthew 3, uh, Jesus, 1 Corinthians, death and burial, wrong set of notes, but I'm going to go anyway. Uh, the Philippian jailer. Uh, we can start there, though, with the baptism of Jesus Christ. That's his importance. Do you know why Jesus Christ was baptized? He was baptized in example for us. He was baptized in, to uh in commandment of the scriptures. He honored the commandments of scripture. And he baptized us. He got baptized to transfer us from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's a pretty big stretch. If you study, though, baptism, you'll find that out. Come tonight, and you'll get the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. But let's go to the Philippian jailer. Save me and my notes. Where does the Philippian jailer, somebody know where he gets Save that, where he is a classic example. What must I do to be saved? Okay. I'll find it. It's in, uh, it's going to be Simon himself, Samaritan, church, Peter, people, and Holy Spirit, Lydia, prison. Uh, prison. Uh, let's try Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. Chapter 16, and that's where it is, where my little red marker is. Acts chapter 16 is where we'll start today. And uh, we call it the conversion of the Philippian jailer. It starts in verse 25. Now, a couple things you need to know as we work up to the conversion of the Philippian jailer. Salvation was a big thing being preached in that country at that time. We have the conversion of uh, the lady who sold purple, and Lydia is her name, and we have a couple other events that take place in that city, and Paul gets arrested as a result of his testimony for of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah, and the uh, he gets thrown into prison. They beat him, which was against the law, which is something you see governments doing that are not that don't respect the law. They use it to their advantage. Does that ring any bells? And they had laid many stripes upon him and cast him into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. And having received such a charge, he thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. The inner prison is the furthest down, so to speak, because most of the prisons in those days, basically the, the worst part of them was underground. He was chained up in the sewer of the prison, basically. 
is where he was. As far away from the outside walls as they could get him and as inhumane as they could treat him. And that's where he was put because of his testimony you can read about in uh, the preceding or the preceding uh, scripture. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made fast their feet in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praise unto God, and the prisoners heard them. That's the first prayer meeting in a prison that we have in Scripture. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were loosed. Oh, that's a person taking advantage of global change, huh? Climate change. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. You know what the penalty was for uh, letting a prisoner escape? You did his sentence. If you were a guard and you were a Roman soldier and you were taken in uh, an inmate to some kind of trial or even to his execution or to a beating or whatever, and he escapes out of your hands, you went to the beating, you went to the trial, you were executed. That's just how simple it was. Well, that man was ready to face the circumstances. He had a realization that he was not going to be successful as a human being. You know, we all go through that, where we don't live up to our expectations. Sometimes we don't live up to our expectations with our age. I know I'm getting on the other side of 65, and it, I have calamities that take place in my life, and I know I'm not going to ever be a professional football player, which was my goal when I was a little kid. I just got to face up to that. I know I'm not going to be my wife. She knows she's not going to be a movie star. She's just got to face up to that. I keep telling her to skip those auditions, but she still goes and tries. No. We all have expectations of ourselves, and we have to realize, hey, we're not quite going to make it. And at that point in our lives, God's knocking on the door, so to speak. And I use that loosely, that term loosely. As Brother Fred alluded to that in his message about Jesus Christ knocking on the door in Revelations. But in fact, God gives us opportunities, if we're left to ourselves, to examine ourselves and see where we're at with him or with the world. And some of us grit down and look for more power, look for more wealth, look for more opportunities. But the Philippian jailer didn't have that. He he, had, he, he knew his sentence. He knew what was going to happen. He knew his limitations. He knew his life was spent. But that's something we all have to realize, that in, when we come to terms with God, we're never going to match him. We're going to have to find a purpose to live other than to, ha- to have the most people at our funeral. As I asked a man one time who was very wealthy, very successful, what are you, what are you living for? I, I want to have the biggest funeral this town's ever seen. What an ambition. Now, all you got to do is give away pizzas or something, and you'll have the biggest funeral. But I just, every one of us have to realize where we stand with the scope of things. And oftentimes, even if we're at the top, we have to realize where we're going. 
And this Philippian jailer was rushed into that awful quick. He knew the score. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. He went to church. He went to God. He turned to someone he knew had been preaching Christ. That's why they were in jail already. He he turned to someone who was successful even at that point in his life. He was living for a purpose that was far beyond the purpose that the jailer was living for. He was a family man. He had a decent job, but it had high pay and high circumstances. The Philippian jailer, that is. And he went to the preacher, and he says in verse 30, and brought them out. Okay, he fell down with Paul and before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, this is a little different than the lawyer or the, uh, the attorney type of person that came to Christ that we looked at last Sunday. That man asked what he could do to procure eternal life. He said, what must I do that I might have eternal life? Centered on what he could do to earn or to get eternal life. This jailer was asking, how do I receive it? He was being asked, how do I receive it? He knew that that process was beyond his control. He had made up his mind already that his life was spent, that he didn't have any purpose or any future in his life as far as he could see. He was coming to terms with reality, with his existence, as we all must. And then he asked, what's the purpose of it? Who, well, how can I procure salvation? This stuff that you were arrested for and thrown in prison about. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. He didn't say join a church. He didn't say, they didn't say, you know, do this, do that. He didn't say tithe. He didn't say give everything you have to the poor as the fellow we read about before who was going to try to earn his salvation, he said, what can I do to get it? And they said, believe on Jesus Christ. The guy who's running around upstairs, literally in that place, they were probably in the basement yet of that prison, he brought him out, so he must have took him up a few floors, maybe to the upper his office or something, and he brought him out. And... Uh, there's still a guy running around on the streets that had been crucified for that. He says, believe on him because he's the Messiah. He's the one I'm teaching about. He's the one we've been thrown in jail for. All you have to do is believe on him. You don't have to give so much money. You don't have to do this. You don't have... All you have to do is believe on him. John the Baptist taught something similar to that when he said, repent and be saved. You're not going to wash away your sins, and I like that. Did you sing that? We sung it already, didn't we? We'll sing it one more time in closing. You're not going to wash away your sins in the Old Testament tradition of the law by killing a goat or killing a calf or giving so much to the poor or having a grain offering or a wave offering or a peace offering. You have to change your mind about how you earn your way to heaven, and you have to believe that it's been earned for you and that all you have to do is accept it. Come to terms with your maker, so to speak. And that's what he was telling them. And he took and he said, he said, and he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I like that last part. 
I got it. I got a comma. There's a comma there in your Bible. And then I underlined the last part of that verse. And thy house. And for 23 years, I, could, I claimed the last half of that verse. Because I know I was saved. I knew my wife was saved. I knew my son was saved. I knew the people at that time when I grabbed that verse, I didn't have a son or a wife. But I knew my mom and dad weren't saved. In fact, when I got saved, I went into the living room and told my mom and dad, I says, hey, uh, I, uh, I got saved. And my girlfriend took me. I went to her church, and they talked all about salvation, and it was something you could get. And I says, it didn't cost me nothing. I, I got saved. It cost me humility. I know it cost me a lot eventually. For 23 years, I couldn't speak to my parents. My dad said at that time, I was a young man, but eventually as I te- furthered my testimony with them, I was thrown out of the house. At that time, oh, my dad said, that's nice. My mom said, you'll get over it. And I didn't, and I still haven't. And that's why I'm here today, because I asked for a well of living water, that I asked for God's true refreshment, God's true cleanliness, God's true purpose in life, and it'll give you strength to carry on. I'm a testimony to that. I come from a family that uh, did things different, did things in their own way, and still tried to earn their way to heaven. But six hours that last part of that verse, I claimed it all the while I was in Bible college, all the while I was in uh, regular college, all the while I moved on in my life. I come to and thy house. I considered my mother and father, uh, they were dear good parents. I considered them, even when I was at odds with them, I considered them as needing salvation. So I claim the last half of that verse. And it says, if I get saved and admit it, the rest, my parents will get saved and my house. Well, you know, I had doubts at times. But six hours before my mother died, I was called to her deathbed, and I apologized to her. I apologized to her for the 23 years we hadn't spoke. Not because I initiated it. I'd send Christmas cards. I'd send birthday cards. They'd just come back in the mail sometimes. No response towards the end, nothing Finally, it petered out, and I gave it to the Lord, and that's a lesson there in the fact that we should give things to the Lord that are beyond our control. Every one of us, it's beyond our control who gets saved. But six hours before my mother died, I apologized to her with tears in my eyes. She apologized to me from her bed, and I says, you know, I'm still a... Baptist, because that's what she thought all those people that talk about salvation were Baptist. In reality, I wasn't saved in a Baptist church. I was saved in a Plymouth Congregational Church. But I told her, I says, I'm still saved, Mom. I says, would you like to be saved? And she raised her hands up. And with tears in her eyes, she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. <laughs> Whatever that was, I see heard somebody's phone go off. That took care of my mother and thy house. My dad told me one day with tears in his eyes, the only time I ever seen him cry in my life was when his dad died, my grandpa, and when he told me, he said, I'd been with the nuns, I'd been with the priests, I've been all over this country, and he says there's nothing 
like getting saved. With tears running down his cheek, he confessed salvation to me. And so, and thy house. I had that privilege as I trusted God and took him at his word. I trusted God and took him at his word and got saved. I trusted God and took him at his word and lived my life according to that and seen my family get saved. Now, neither one of them were baptized. How can you baptize someone six hours before they die? And how can you baptize someone who was terminally ill with sickle cell? He was given five years to live. He lived seven. And in those last two years, when he received the two years more in his life, he realized that that was a time to start reconciling himself with his maker, and he accepted Christ as his personal Savior and saved that with me. Now, that's a story you hear from time to time. I don't get too far into basic salvation when I have to confess that because it's a wonderful time for me. It's a wonderful thing that happened to me and thy house. And it can happen to you as you trust in the Lord and practice and pray. And he took them some uh, the same hour and of the night and washed their stripes. This is the prisoner. This is the prison, prison keeper. The turnkey is what I call him. I was a turnkey, so I reserve that right to say that myself. And he took them in the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and his, and his straight way. So he accepted Jesus Christ and got saved. Then he went ahead and showed his salvation. My dad showed his salvation by confessing to me because he knew it was an important thing to me that I had prayed for him. And he, he had talked things over with me a few times in those regards. And he confessed Jesus Christ to me. The prisoner, who did he have to tell? He told his family. He said, I've accepted Christ, and I have got the answer. You know, if they come and execute me, they could have executed him any time just because of the attempted break. Who knows what the politics were at the time. He had a job everybody wanted unless you, weren't, unless you were, uh, weren't into that sort of politics. But he went and told his family, shared his salvation. Then he was baptized. Now, why was he baptized? His sins were washed away. The Old Testament concept of baptism is the washing away of your sins. And we'll get into that tonight. It washed away impurities. It cleaned up things. John the Baptist wanted people to be cleaned up so that they could be prepared for the coming Messiah. And they could change their mind, and I won't keep preaching there because I'll give away what I'm going to be talking about tonight. But he moved from salvation to baptism. Oh, that's kind of a frozen concept, you know. You don't have to get baptized to get to heaven. Right, you don't. But you should be baptized as a testimony to your house or to others of your salvation. What's a better group of people to tell about your salvation too. What's a more understanding group of people to tell your salvation to than some other people that have basically gone through the same thing themselves? It was a concept that my family couldn't comprehend because they were baptized as infants, didn't have nothing to do with it, no say about it, and barely seen it ever happen again. But 
when you accept Christ as your personal Savior, you're not, not everyone in this room is going to get saved and be a spiritual giant, right? Not everyone in this room is going to get saved and be the next Billy Graham as you confess Jesus Christ to others. Every one of us are different with different capabilities, different aptitudes, and different callings from God. God doesn't want everybody to be a Billy Graham or a, or a, a professional this or a professional that, or in my case, a professional football player. Some of them guys have wonderful testimonies and use it as a place to springboard to tell others about Christ. But God wants everybody in this room to tell, especially those that have already gone through that experience, to tell someone else. Now, how do we do that? With our incapabilities as human beings, how do we accomplish that? Well, we can give to missions. We can help others, encourage others. We can send a card. We can share a Bible verse. Or we can get baptized and give an open testimony that I'm marked. You know, Baptist comes from the word Anabaptist. That was a group of people that got rebaptized, that gave away, sometimes for just mere tax purposes, they gave away their childbirth, their rights as a child to be saved, to be uh, taxed by the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church of the time. And they rejected that, and they became Anabaptists and got baptized again in newness of life. And so they branded those people and persecuted them. They didn't persecute them all because they were saved. They persecuted a lot of them because they were rebaptized and taken off the rolls of their original church. I know a fellow that migrated, immigrated here from Poland when I was a young man. They couldn't find proof of his birth. He applied for Social Security. And they couldn't find proof of, his, proof of his birth. So they went back to the Catholic Church, his home church, in Poland, and found out he was actually a year older than the, the date he figured his, his birth was. And we all teased him because you missed out on your, your, uh, yeah, your Social Security by a whole year. You could have applied last year. There it was in the rolls. So that Baptist is a big thing. I'm not trying to preach anything. I'm not trying to make anybody here a Baptist. But I am trying to impress upon us the need to be baptized in obedience to Christ. And if you're not going to if you're going to accomplish something for God, if you're going to fulfill what God would want you to do, you would want to be baptized. You should it's your only chance sometimes for some of us to be to tell others about Jesus. I remember when my children got baptized, I invited them, I invited my relatives, most of them not saved, come to the baptism. We'll have a little picnic and come to the baptism. You can see this is a milestone in my family's life, my experience. It's a chance for you to be a testimony to others. It's a chance for you to be obedient to God. Oh, well, well, well why do you got to do it that way? Okay, now we can go back to John chapter, where was it? Matthew chapter 3. And we're on point 2. We'll be done here in just a few minutes. Matthew. Chapter 3, Then come, verse 13, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. That was his cousin. He was three months, his cousin was three months older than him. 
But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it, be, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And we would say today, fulfill the law, the Old Testament. Jesus Christ did everything. He was questioned, what do you have against the law? He says, I have come to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. And to fulfill the law, he came to John the Baptist to be baptized. He was baptized by another believer in front of other believers. Now, were they all spiritual giants? John the Baptist didn't know the whole story of Jesus Christ. He just knew the Messiah was coming, and it was revealed to him as he was obedient and preached repentance and baptism. And as he did obedient to God, God revealed more and more to him. And this is a picture of us. As we are obedient to God and do what he wants for us to do, he will reveal more to us. He'll show you the whole book. He'll show you the whole story. You'll know where you fall into the scheme of things. Just like the jailer, he fell short. He knew the chapter was ending, and God opened up a whole new story for him to follow. And as he became submissive and accepted Christ as his personal Savior and then was baptized, accepted baptism as the next step, God revealed more and more to him. We don't see no more. We don't see anything more. i got to keep my English right as best I can. Of Jesus Christ, of John the Baptist there, of the Philippian jailer in the Bible. But it doesn't have a bad chapter to it. It doesn't say they came out and executed him or, and his whole family went to Hades. But he moved on in the scheme of things God had for him to do. If you want to move on in the scheme of things God would have you to do, you need to submit to believer's baptism. It's that simple. As I've seen people in my life come to terms with my with my maker and their maker it was only because i submitted myself to what god's plan for me was did you catch that as you submit yourself to god's plan and he'll reveal what he needs from you what he wants from you He'll also reveal, be able to work with those you love and show himself to them. So he was baptized, went straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened. This is Jesus, verse 16 of Matthew 4. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Represents the Holy Spirit here. We have God the Father. We have God the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, all three the Trinity there in this portion of Scripture. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You know, somebody saved me from drowning, I'd want to thank them and ask them if they needed a buck or two or whatever they needed. Somebody pulls you out of the ditch on uh, Christmas Eve in the, in the snowbank and takes you out of the snowbank, you're going to go, well, yeah, bye. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas. No, you're going to want to please them a little bit. Can I do anything? Can I, can I give you a, a couple of bucks? Can, you know, thanks a lot. Jesus Christ pleased his heavenly Father. 
by being obedient to him. You, uh, you, God wants obedience from us, and he'll settle. He'll settle for baptism as the first step. If you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Savior, who knows what is laying past that for you? You know, if I give somebody 20 bucks and they don't say thank you, I don't have my, I'm not going to change. I give them the 20 bucks because I give it to them. And I think they needed it. But if they don't say thank you, they're not going to get another 20 from me. Now, that's pretty simple and kind of crude. But we, we receive eternal life, and we don't, we don't even want to thank God for it. He's going to keep his side of the bargain, by the way. The thief at the cross didn't have much opportunity, but if you really study it, the thief at the cross rebuked the other thief, remember? And he showed his gratitude. Jesus Christ didn't have to thank anybody. But he still showed his gratitude and obedience to his heavenly father and took the next step in his life for each one of us. And we have that same opportunity as Christians. That's what baptism is about. It's a simple act of obedience to the scriptures. It's a simple act of obedience to God, what he demands from us. It's a simple thank you. And it's a simple testimony to others. It makes it easier so that when you're standing at the coffee machine down at Dockside, which they do have a coffee machine, uh, you're standing down there at the coffee machine and somebody comes up and says, what's this Jesus stuff about? You go to that church in town. What's that Jesus stuff about? It'll give you the courage. Well, you know, I accepted him. It was just acting upon God's word and I accepted him. You've already told how many people are here today? 60, 50? You've already told a number of other people you've accepted Jesus Christ when you got baptized. It should be a little easier to tell someone else. You get cornered and, and you go home and you go uh, to your spouse. You go, uh, you know, I, I went to church today and I, I got saved and I'm going to get baptized next week. I'd like you to come along and see the story. Hopefully that long-winded preacher will explain baptism and explain salvation, and you can come to terms with him yourself. It gives you an opportunity. It gives you a space, a place to think about. And then if you get doubts like even John the Baptist, who was far greater than any other man, Jesus said himself, who had doubts about Jesus, had doubts about his faith, what did Jesus say? Go back and look at Scripture. You fulfilled Scripture. It'll be real to you. It's, been, it's real for me, and I'm real. When you have doubts in your life about whether you're saved or whether God's working with you, you can go back to the point where you've accepted him as your Savior and you've proclaimed him to others. That's point two in salvation or in baptism. So, let's all stand.